Welcome to the Plans and Provisions Podcast, your source for homesteading and preparedness information and inspiration. We're so glad you're here. We'll be talking with some incredible folks, sharing ideas, and learning what we can do to become more independent and resilient in these interesting times. Now here's your host, Jason White. As my family heads into our second year on our homestead, the idea of having a milk cow has fallen in and out of favor as we plan and dream of the future. There's no doubt the allure of having fresh milk, butter, sour cream, and most importantly, homemade cheese on our homestead, but so far we have made no plans to add any dairy animals to our land. We love the idea, as I'm sure many of you do, but we're cautious to move forward with such a large commitment and have concerns over, honestly, what it would take to work that system into our current lifestyle. Well, today's guest is, in my opinion, one of the very best resources for those who are interested in diving into the world of homestead-level dairy production. Her name is Robin Jackson, and through her online business, Cheese from Scratch, she teaches, inspires, and connects cheesemakers and milkmaids from all over the world. In our conversation, we talk about how accessible cheesemaking is for anyone who can find pasteurized milk at the grocery store, and as well as some of the best cheeses to make for beginners. I ask her about the reality of keeping a dairy cow and how that looks for her schedule and lifestyle throughout the year. Robin shares how cheesemaking is, in essence, preserving milk and goes into some of the science of the cheesemaking process. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Robin, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. Hey, Jason. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I love podcasts. Awesome. Yeah, me too. I, I found you, I think I found you just through Instagram. You've really blown up on there and you've got some of the, just there, you're, you're, you're informational, but you're, you're pretty funny too. So uh, you, you really caught my eye with some of your more humorous takes on things and just kind of the real nature. Uh, you, you just, I, I feel like you don't over polish it. You're kind of real and you're funny. So I appreciate that. Um, wow. I wanted to talk about cheese making. I wanted to talk about, you know, dairy production, dairy processing at home. But I, first, I wanted to kind of touch a little bit based on kind of your, kind of what you do there. You've got a pretty large property, I think, and maybe hear a little bit of what you do and, and your background, how you got there. Sure. Sounds good. Yeah. So, my husband and I, um, we're, we live in northern BC, Canada. Um, so my husband's originally from um, Wisconsin, which is the cheese state. Um, and I'm originally from here. So he moved here probably about 15 years ago. We met, um, we both had, our families both had ranches. So we ended up buying a ranch as well. Um, so we run a pretty big, like cattle ranch. We have about 250 head of beef cattle. Um, but when we started my husband, cause he came from a dairy farm in Wisconsin and he always was just like, like he loves dairy cows. They just kind of called him back. So um, it was about, I think it was in 2014. I came home from work one day and there was a dairy cow sitting in the front pen. And he's like, look what I got. Can you make me cheese? And so that kind of like segued into all of this. Um, so I started making cheese at the time. Our oldest daughter was only a baby. So it was just like trying to figure out how to um, work all of that into life and we now have three small children but um, so that's kind of how I got like started into cheese making just sort of 
thrown in. Basically. Here you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Baptism by fire. I like it. Yeah. Not even, not even here's a couple gallons of milk. Let's see what you can do. Here's, here's a dairy cow. <laughs> exactly. Can you make me string cheese? <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. Very cool. Exactly. So you grew up on like cattle ranches, sounds like. Is that mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. So Zach grew up on a dairy farm and then okay. I grew up on a beef cattle ranch, which is, um, it was kind of funny because I didn't realize how different dairy cows are than beef cows. Like when we first got our first dairy cow, I was like, you know what? Like I, I've been around cows my whole life. It's not going to be that hard or whatever, but it is hard. They're almost like a different animal. It's crazy. So um, it was definitely a huge learning curve on like the dairy cow side of things, as well as the cheese making side of things. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I'm just finishing up reading Alan Nation's um, Quality Pasture. And I've learned so yeah. much from that book. And it, I mean, it, from what I've gathered, it, it's raising dairy animals, certainly, you know, dairy cows. I mean, their, their nutritional needs are so much more intense than... Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, do you guys keep them separately from... How many, how many cows do you have, I guess, would be a question. Yeah, so we have about 250 beef cows, um, so they're pretty much separate. Mm. And then we've, um, we actually, the original purpose of that original dairy cow that was in the, um, in the corral down below the house was to be a nanny cow for our beef cows. Um, so we've actually incorporated nanny cows onto the ranch. Um, so we have about five of them and their like sole purpose is to feed any um, like twins that we have on the beef cows because beef cows aren't very good at keeping twins or um, if like a cow died or something to feed orphan cows uh, or calves. Um, and then I have like, now I have my own family milk cow that her milk is just for the house and for cheese making. Um, but yeah, the original purpose was for, to have nanny cows. Um, but milk cows make a lot of milk, so it's easy to steal off of them. Right. Grab a gallon milk. or two here, uh, here or there. So what your, your family milk cow, what breed? Uh, she's a Jersey. Yeah. She's my first Jersey. Before that we had, um, mostly like Holsteins or like Holstein mix, um, breeds. Um, I definitely like, I've only had Suki for, that's her name. I've only had her for about two years and I love her so much, but I think she'll be my last Jersey. She's, um, she's a bit of a princess. She's hard to take care of. (laughs) So, okay. So where will you head from there as far as breeds go? I think I like a mixed breed. There's something to say about like a mixed breed kind of like rigor that you get from, um, like there's just, they're too delicate when they're full breed, like Holstein, full breed Jersey for what we need on the ranch. Like we need them to be able to be out on pasture and the pastures are a little rough and they're a little bit rolly and the feed is maybe not the highest quality that you're going to get. Um, so just having that little bit of a cross with beef in there just gives them so much more vigor and um, just makes them more suitable for our needs. So I think maybe like a Jersey Angus cross or something like that. I'll try next. Very cool. What's, yeah. what's the, so you've had her for two years. Is she two plus years old? I'm assuming. Um, she is about, how old is she? She's probably four, I think. And what's the typical, like, how, how long do you keep a dairy cow? Well, like 10 years is an old dairy cow, but that's on a, like, that's on a dairy farm. So I think that like eight years is probably an old dairy cow on a dairy farm. Um, I think I can probably expect to have her like knock on wood for 10 years. 
Um, whereas if you've got like a beef cow, they will live till they're like 20 and be still having calves and stuff. So um, if you get that kind of mixed crossbreed in there, then you've got a little bit, maybe a little bit more life in them. But you also give up things. You give up like the butter fat will probably not be as high. Like right now, her cream line is just crazy. It's um, she's got very high butter fats, probably about 70 percent. But um, wow. when you cross in like a, a breed that doesn't have that butter fat, then you lose out on it a bit. Very cool. Interesting. Yeah. I've been around uh, a couple of dairy cows in my day, and I actually got a primer on cheddar making, butter making, things like that. Um, my wife and I, this was, goodness, probably 15 years ago, we lived on a small kind of hobby farm homestead. I like to say we went to homestead school where we just kind of learned to can and make cheese and manage birds and slaughter birds. And and so had a little background to that, but still it's it's been a while and I'm pretty pretty green to the whole idea. Um, we haven't started. We've been on our pod, uh, on our homestead for almost a year. Moved out of the city, uh, the suburbs, and so we're slowly adding bits and pieces to that. Um, question I have for you. So you, you come from ranching farming families. Um, you're now, you're doing the cheese from scratch uh, business where you're supporting and in, in teaching more homesteaders how to, how to make cheese, how to, how to do that. Where does the line between, because I, I wonder sometimes, am I going to offend a rancher if I call them a homesteader or like, where is that line? You know, like, how do you feel about that? I just think the word homesteader, like I started using it because it's the word that is out there right now. Like if I called myself a rancher cheese maker, no, like nobody would re- kind of relate to that. That's the, the it's the word that's out there. Yeah. But then sometimes I feel like I feel um, the same way. Like, am I going to offend somebody that is like living off grid and actually like developing the land and like making their house out of logs, you know, like is actually homesteading the land. Um, and I'm just using this word. Like I moved into my house. It was already made. I'm, I'm on grid, like things like that. So I feel the same way, but I've just kind of like worked it in my head that that's just the word that we're using right now. It's the word that we're using to all connect and come together as a community. We all like these, we all like these things. We want to learn how to preserve our milk. We want to learn how to butcher chickens and, um, and can and stuff like that. So I think I just kind of embracing that the word homesteading is just, is just embellishing or like encompassing everything to do with just growing your own food and just using it that way. Yeah, no, I agree. It's definitely a, it's a big word right now. I'm using it too here on this podcast. And, um, and, and I talk to a lot of different people, both on the show and outside of the show. And, and I find that, you know, everybody's got a little bit different definition of what that means. And, and that often really relates to how they're living. I, for me, you know, it, it, it starts in the kitchen and works in concentric circles out from that, you know, how you eat and then how you produce food, how you, how you prepare food, how you source food, how you produce food, so on and so forth. With, with all the different definitions and all the different interpretations of that word homesteading, um, I think one thing I've found is that, you know, I talk to homesteaders who don't have any animals on their property. Not one single animal, not a chicken, not a rabbit, not a quail, certainly not, not any cattle or dairy animals. I talk to folks like you who are, you know, from 
um, from ranching backgrounds and who have 250 head of, of, of beef cattle and, you know, nanny cows, which is a new word for me, and, and a, a family milk cow. So one of the questions I have for you is, can someone become a cheesemaker and not, and be a homesteader and not have a dairy animal on their property? Of course. I think that's, I think it's such a great um, thing to start making cheese, even if you don't have a dairy animal on your property. I think that it's like, maybe one day you plan on having a dairy animal on your property, or maybe you don't plan on having one, but you just are really interested in growing your own food and um, just making everything a little bit closer. Um, so I think that it's really a good idea to start making cheese even before you have a dairy animal. Um, some great like ways to be able to make cheese are to um, buy either raw milk from like a farmer or there's like this um, website, it's called realmilk.com. It's in the United States. Um, it's actually got like a mel- raw milk finder map on it. So you can just like type your address in and you can find a good, reliable raw milk source around you. Um, I'm in Canada, so it's a little bit trickier to be able to find raw milk here. Um, but people make cheese with pasteurized milk all the time. There's like a few rules behind it. You can't use ultra pasteurized milk that can't be made into cheese at all. So you have to find just like normal pasteurized um, and you have to be prepared to add back in a little bit what has been lost in that pasteurization process. So like the calcium has been damaged in the milk during pasteurization. Um, so you have to add in back calcium chloride before you can actually get it to set into a curd. Okay. So the, it seems like that's going to be a lot of people there. They, they, they can go to the grocery store and they can buy milk and in ultra pasteurized versus pasteurized. I'm not super familiar. I mean, it, it is one more common than the other. Um, I think that ultra pasteurized is more common in the States, not so much in Canada. Um, but just from what I've heard from, um, students and everything like that, um, it is more common. So you have to be careful that you're reading the label because it just won't set into a curd for you. And it's okay. like a um, extra heating process that like really damages the milk. And then that just like makes you think, what the heck am I drinking if it won't even turn into cheese? Right. Um, yeah, because I mean, milk is meant to make cheese. And that's what I tell everybody, you know, it's meant to come out of the udder and it's meant to go in that little calf's stomach and it's meant to turn into cheese in that little calf's stomach. And if you have milk that won't even turn into cheese, like what is it? It's not milk anymore, I guess. Right. You you can't actually, you can't, for lack of a better word, decompose it in a proper way. It's already kind of been destroyed in a lot of ways, it sounds like. Exactly. Like you can't gain, the reason that it has to turn to cheese in that little calf stomach is so that it slows down the digestion and that little calf can like take all of the nutrients within it. But if it won't turn into cheese, then like it's just going to shoot right through, basically. Um, it's not going to have that slow down digestion process. That's interesting. So, and again, like I said, I've seen cheese be, been made. I've helped out with the process, but um, I'm like many really don't know much about it. So cheese is essentially, we're taking what happens inside the dairy animal, the the baby dairy animal, the calf or, or the kid or the lamb, and we're converting it into a digestible form of, of milk, essentially. Yes, exactly. It's just fermentation of milk. It's a different form of fermentation. And 
um, it's actually, it makes it easier to think about if you have some fermentation background, whether it's sourdough or vegetable fermentation or anything like that, um, because it really follows the same process. Like if you've ever done um, like fermenting vegetables, they're using lactic bacteria to start feeding on the sugar and start acidifying it. Um, and the same thing with milk, it's using lactic bacteria to start feeding on the sugar. And um, yeah, it's, it's pretty similar, actually. Okay, that's I didn't realize it was the same, same family of bacteria. I, I've yeah. been pretty crazy about fermenting vegetables. Um, this year, I had Sandor cats on early in the the podcast um, and uh, just had a great time talking with him and picked up all of his books and absorbed all of it. And and I got for about a month or two, I just went crazy fermenting every type of vegetable matter that I possibly could. Had some strikes, had some gutters, but um, but that's interesting. So when we when when we ferment vegetables, we're essentially adding salt. Um, it's pretty simple, uh, you know. For for somebody who is looking to get into that, I mean, you need a knife, you need a cabbage, a cutting board, a little salt in a jar, burp the lid. Pretty straightforward. For somebody who is like, hey, I could go buy pasteurized milk and I can turn it into cheese. Wonder if you could kind of lay out like what what does that look like for some like really basic startup gear and processes? Like, how would you recommend somebody start if they're like, hey, I want to experiment with this? Yeah. So um, you can make, there's a cheese for everybody. There's a cheese for somebody that wants to get like super in depth and, you know, all, own all the fancy equipment. And there's cheese for people that don't want to own any equipment. They just want to use whatever they have in their kitchen. Um, so yeah, there's a cheese for everybody. Um, pretty much the, the main things that you need is your ingredients. So you need um, good quality milk. So whether that is pasteurized or whether that's raw milk, the fresher, the better. Um you need, if you're going to be using uh, pasteurized milk, you need that calcium chloride that I talked about, um, but you don't need that if you're using raw milk. Um, you need rennet. So rennet is a catch-all phrase for a bunch of different enzymes. Um, so in that little calf stomach, there's actually enzymes in the lining of his stomach, and those enzymes interact with the milk and they cause it to coagulate. So you need that um, to be able to make any cheese that um, it's going to be aged or is going to not any cheese that's going to be aged, but any cheese where you're expecting to have a really nice firm curd where you're going to be manipulating. Um, and then you usually need a bacterial culture. So if you're using raw milk, sometimes you're not going to be. But um, if you're using pasteurized milk, you're always going to need a lactic bacterial culture. So all of those things you can buy on like a cheese making supply website, uh, cheesemaking.com, uh, cheeseneeds.com, Glengarry, cheese making, all of those sites have all of those ingredients um, and they're not like super expensive. So those are basically the things that you need to get started. And then everything else you can kind of just make do with in your kitchen until you figure out what it is you want to make and what cheeses you want to be making. Okay. So you can start with the ingredients. There's some specialized ingredients there. Um, but And then if you don't even want to go and buy those ingredients, you can use milk and you can use vinegar. Like you can make like a, ricotta type cheese um that's just like really fresh and that's uh, my friend she's actually um what calling herself an urban homesteader she doesn't have a dairy animal or anything and she just made ricotta the other day nice um and it just makes you so good to just uh, feel so good to just be making a cheese um it's just so satisfying yeah i, I for me and, and i've been like this for a long time even when i really 
didn't necessarily identify with with homesteading. I just love I just love taking the steps away from like the big corporations and the the food industry and and just doing something for my, I, there's just something that I think for most people even those that are completely detached from the earth and from this kind of lifestyle I think there's just something about that doing that that doing something for yourself that I think is so um it's just so satisfying um exactly. so it's so cool yeah so like I love how, oh, sorry. no go ahead just gonna say I love how you say like taking it away from the big corporations and stuff because that really ties into something that I'm doing right now um, is I don't want to be having to buy cheese making culture anymore um, because it's it, it does come from big corporations so what I'm actually been working on and I haven't perfected the art by any means yet but um, keeping a, something called a clabber culture going on my counter and um, it's basically like the sourdough culture equivalent for cheese making. Mm. So I, it's like milk that I leave on the counter and I feed it every day. Um, and then I use it as a cheese making starter culture. Um, so that's like just one thing to like bring eat even more back to your homestead. So there's so many little avenues of cheese making that you can take um, once you get started. Yeah. You just little, little loops. You keep bringing these loops in and that's, that's, that's what I love. I think more than, probably the community element, meeting other people, having conversations like this, learning from other, the community thing, and then just the loops, closing loops and, and just not supporting, um, you know, big food. So that clabber culture, um, I'm, I'm familiar with starting a sourdough starter and keeping that fed and all that kind of, I mean, it's pretty much the same type of thing. Yeah, pretty much. Like you, um, instead of that rise and fall that you get with sourdough, you get a coagulation. That's your rise, basically. And the fall is like when it's gone over kind of the top of the bell curve and it started to um, like been be, it's too acidic. The lactic bacteria have feed it, fed on most of the lactose. Um, and then you're, it's kind of not as good for um, cheese making when um, it's gone over kind of that bell curve. So that's kind of the fall, basically. It's all new to me, but it's very interesting. No, that's super it. cool. I love that. Um, now, yeah. did that start with a culture that you purchased? Nope. That started just from raw milk. Okay, yeah. very cool. So you need raw milk to start it, but you can. So right now, um, my Jersey cow is dry because we're waiting for her to calf or well, she'll calve in a couple of months. Um, so I'm actually been trying to feed it with some pasteurized milk. So I started it with raw milk and then We'll see. I'm, I, it's like an experiment. We'll see how it goes. So the theory there is you can feed it without adding any more microbes to the to the mix? Yeah, exactly. If you get it nice and strong. But um, I just don't know how long it will it will be. Like, you know, if um, for example, if anyone's ever made yogurt, um, you can keep your starter culture going for a long time, but eventually it just isn't making as good of yogurt. So I kind of think that might be with um, using pasteurized milk like I might eventually have to like go back to using raw milk because it just won't be as good, but right. we'll see. Yeah. I have that experience with my kombucha. Everything goes great. And then it just, it just takes a turn. Um, but yeah, I could yeah. geek out on fermentation all afternoon. Um, so we talked about kind of the, the very basic, Hey, I want to go to the grocery store. I'm going to do a couple little orders online. I'm going to just piece together my first cheese. Sounds like ricotta is one of the simplest possibilities. Um, but then it, taking it another another step up, like where do if someone says, "Hey, you know what? I, I 
I made some ricotta. It went well. I want to go to the next level and kind of advance forward. Like what, what does that spectrum look like as people start to, to, to get a little bit more into it and get a little more comfortable with it? Yeah. Um, so I think I always recommend feta as a beginner cheese for people. Um, the one reason is that you really don't need any fancy equipment. Like you can make do with everything you have in your kitchen other than those ingredients that I mentioned before. Um, you'll need to get those. So, so those are kind of just like the basic, um, you just want to make a cheese and you don't have a designated place to age it or anything. You can just age it in your regular refrigerator. And it teaches you all the basic steps for cheese making because cheese making, when you look at a recipe, it can be really intimidating. You're like, like there's all these words, I don't know what they mean. And um, there's all these steps. So if you just like follow a basic recipe and just dive in and do it, then it doesn't seem so confusing. It's kind of like when you first make sourdough for the first time, like you look at it, you're like, this takes like 24 hours to make like, like that's so confusing. But when you just dive in and you do it, you realize that it's not as bad as it actually seems on paper. Right. Once you get the muscle memory and figure out which which tools you're using, what needs to be clean at what time and and stuff like that. So from feta, where do you where do you recommend somebody go? Um, So I especially if you're buying milk, I think that feta is a great cheese to start with because you don't need a ton of milk. And so if you're on that route where you're buying milk um, and you don't have your own dairy animal, I think that brie is a really good um, kind of second cheese. And it seems like it's a really scary cheese. Like you would say, oh, that's an advanced cheese. Um, But it's not actually, it's pretty easy to make. So I say like, do feta, maybe do mozzarella. Um, Mozzarella is a good beginner cheese too, because it just kind of teaches you that you actually have to follow the recipe to get a desired, um, desired result. You're trying to get that cheese actually into a specific pH window, and it will only stretch when you get it into that window. So all the things you do before that in the recipe, they actually matter to be able to get it to that point. And that just gives you that visual of, okay, I actually have to follow this. Um, whereas you don't have that visual if you're making an aged cheese and you're not going to taste it for six months. That's a really good point. So that's a great training cheese. It's delicious as well, but you'll know if you screwed it up pretty, pretty, pretty easily. Exactly. It's kind of instantaneous. So like feta, it's like feta, mozzarella, and then brie. If you're buying milk, those are the three cheeses that I think that you should start with. Okay. I like that. Um, now, if, if I were buying raw milk, would that would you, would that be any different? Or would you say pretty much go the same route? Um, not if you were um, buying raw milk, but if you had a dairy animal, then I would say dive into like some of the um, maybe more aged cheeses or the pressed cheeses, um, because really, like what I teach a lot on my um, on cheese from scratch is that. Um, cheese making is preserving your milk. And if you're getting like 10 gallons a day from your cow, then you need to preserve it in some way. So these pressed cheeses, just like kind of how they, like in the Alps, how they make the cheese up in the mountains and they bring it down. That's a form of preservation. And same thing on the homestead, you can use that. You can um, learn how to make cheddars and asiegos or parmesans or all of these cheeses. And then right now, like when I'm in the dry season, we're not drinking a ton of milk, but we're eating a lot of cheese. So. Mm. That's beautiful. I, I, I don't know why I've never thought of it in those terms. I've certainly never thought about like canning milk, but, um, but yeah, that's that's a beautiful thing. So so you buy, okay. So we, we kind of talked about the first steps of, of buying buying milk 
And then there's kind of the little step, you know, the little baby step up to buying raw milk from the from the store. Um, I think it's a pretty well circulated and probably accepted um, concept, maybe a myth that once you get to owning a dairy animal, you're you're really not ever going to leave your farm again. What what's been your experience with that? Yeah, so there's so many. Um, it's different for every homestead. So there's so many ways to get away from that. But I know that's like the stigma of owning a dairy animal. And it's kind of true. Like you really can't leave too far if you're in milk. Um, But it depends on the dairy animal. So like goats, they tend to have a bit of a shorter lactation. Um, It depends on what you're going to do for setup. Like we do calf sharing. So um, the calf drinks the milk as well. Um, Once the calf gets bigger and it can handle more of the milk, then we have to milk less. Um, so there's so many different ways that you can kind of work it to fit into your lifestyle, but you do have to be realistic about it that for a while anyways, you're going to be there twice a day milking every day kind of thing. Um, a lot of people have that I've talked to, um, like have relief milkers. So they like neighbors and stuff that are interested in having a dairy animal, but don't have the infrastructure. Don't maybe they have a day job and they, um, aren't going to be there all the time. Um, then they get them to come and milk once a week kind of thing like that. So there's so many ways that you can work it out if you really, if that's your dream. That makes sense. You just have to basically plan around that. And if that's your priority and that's decision you've made, then, um, yeah, you just, uh, you work around it. And, and I think for most homesteaders, and, and that is, again, that's a pretty a broad word, you're kind of rooted to your place anyway. I mean, you're home a lot. And so it. I think, I know for us, we've talked about it and I got pretty excited about it a few months ago. And again, we're in our first year, so we're moving slow. My wife was always less excited because she realizes that she's probably likely to be the one that's, you know, dealing with that more. But um, yeah, no, we're, we're thinking about it for sure, but we're, we're going to move slow on it. Um, yeah, I think that's smart. I think that... Um, like sometimes for things like cheese making, um, I think that it works to jump right in, like both feet, you're going to do it kind of thing, but a dairy animal, like it's, it pays to think about it a little bit, you know, make sure you have the infrastructure. It just makes it so much easier if you have a plan in place and it's probably not going to follow the plan, but if you have a plan in place, then you just, you feel more prepared and there's less things that go wrong basically. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, I always talk about just starting where you are and, whether you're in a high rise apartment or, you know, living out on, you know, a hundred acre farm or whatever it is, just get started. And, and it sounds like, Hey, you know what? We've been buying milk and we've been making cheese and we really enjoy it and we're getting good at it. Maybe that's a natural progression to say, Hey, let's, uh, let's get a dairy cow. Sounds like you, you got handed a dairy cow and said, let's, let's see if we can make cheese. But, um, but yeah, maybe exactly. <laughs> I mean, you jump to the occasion. Um, so I mean with with you know the homesteading world there's there's definitely a lot of there's a lot of new things that people are taking on and I think that most people that are in this growing movement are fairly new to the lifestyle um they're new to producing their own food they're new to preserving said food um and I know with cheese making it can be certainly it seems like there there could be a lot of problems that would come with, with starting something that complicated. Um, I know that, uh, you, you're teaching a lot of people 
cheese making and supporting a lot of folks uh, through cheese from scratch. What are some of the like real, real challenges that a new cheesemaker is going to face that might be kind of a hurdle that they may have a hard time getting around? So I think that um, probably the biggest hurdle is like figuring out that you are going to make mistakes. And that's like, that was something that like used to just like be like, oh man, I made another mistake. Like I, uh, like I shouldn't even do this anymore kind of thing. Um, but that's like cheese making. I've learned the most from my mistakes because I made mistakes. Like I feel like I'm much better cheese more- maker for it. And the thing with milk too, is that unless it was like some sort of real big contamination or something that maybe is like not even avoidable. Um, it's rarely ruined. Like say you forgot to stir your cheese or your curds for like 20 minutes, you only start them for 10. It's not going to be ruined. It's just going to be a different cheese. So there's like thousands of different cheeses in the world and they're all made from basically those same four ingredients that I mentioned earlier. Um, And it's just the cheese making technique that makes them different. So if you make a little mistake, it's not the end of the world. It's just a different kind of cheese. And coming to the table with that idea in mind um, just really helped me feel better about it. I like that. I've, I've hit... That that very thing has come up several times on this podcast. It's it's like, look, you're going to make mistakes. Um, you know, you just kind of have to jump in. And I know for a lot of us, we like to have a fair amount of control and expectation, and and we don't like to make mistakes. Like for my my wife and I, we planted a massive garden, way bigger than we should have planted for our first year here, and um, we've learned a lot from that experience. And so I think that next year we'll have half the size of the garden, but we'll be probably four times as knowledgeable, you know? So, I mean, I think there's so much to be learned from jumping in, but yeah, it sounds like just that mindset of um, letting go of the pride and realizing you're going to make mistakes. That's how you're going to learn. Exactly. And like, um, like you said, with the garden, like maybe like next year, you know, you're, you're not going to do as much, but that garden is going to be so much more, um, there's going to be some more, many more vegetables in there, basically. And cheese making is kind of the same thing. You don't have to make all those like thousand different types of cheeses. You can start with one type of cheese. You're still going to be super satisfied if you can make one type of cheese, like say feta, and you make it over and over and over again, and you get really good at doing it. You get really good at fitting it in your lifestyle because it's just like kind of like baking bread. You know how to, you know, you've got to do a fold here, or a knead here kind of thing. Um, so you're still going to be satisfied with like that. Like you don't have to make 1000 cheeses and think that you have to do it all. It's much easier if you just come in and start baby steps and still be like, I'm making cheese. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I know for us, you know, we have, we have fairly lofty goals and, you know, we're here in our first year, we've taken on quite a bit, but I've listened to some of the elders of the movement that say like, don't, don't jump in. Don't take on too much at once. We did go crazy with the garden, but we had the space. And I mean, it, yeah, you're right. Next year, we'll probably produce three or four times the vegetables on half the space. It's just a reality and probably less work. But um, but we learned those lessons. I, I think, too, to your point with the feta, also with, with mozzarella, I mean, it sounds to me like if you were to make mozzarella and screw it up 10 times, you'd probably be a pretty darn good cheesemaker after that. Exactly. You'd be a mozzarella expert. And you look at like, um, like areas around the world, they're not making a bunch of different cheeses. That's like 
very unique to North America that we're wanting to, in our homes, make all these different types of cheeses. We're copying recipes from, um, like, say, like Brie. We're copying that recipe from a region of France um, where that's the cheese that they make. That's the cheese that works really good for their area or their milk or their lifestyle, whatever that is. Um, and so being able to figure out what cheese works really good for your lifestyle and make that your kind of signature homestead cheese um, is going to make you be able to make really good cheese. That's a good point. That that makes me wonder, are there are there cheeses that are obviously the type of dairy animal that you have is going to play a large role into that? But are there like weather conditions and regions that would make more sense? Like you're up in Northern BC, I'm in the Ozarks of Missouri. I know people in Florida. I mean, are there, there cheeses that would just be better suited to different climates? Yeah, for sure. Especially like um, whatever your aging area is. Like um, for example, if you, if it's really hot where you are, maybe you don't um, have like a designated place to age your cheese. You don't have extra space um, maybe you're going to be aging it in like a salt brine in your re- regular refrigerator kind of thing. Um, yeah, maybe like a brie wouldn't be a very good um, candidate for you because that mold growth is going to happen too fast in your temperature kind of things like that. So looking at areas um, around the world that kind of have sim- similar climates and choosing cheeses that, um, that they make is going to um, also help you. That's a really cool... Cool, cool point. I like that. So one of the things I've noticed about you in the the brief time I've been following you online is you are, you seem like you're really busy. You, you have three small children. I've got three small children. You're, you've got a cattle ranch. You've got uh, uh, an online uh, cheese making business, teaching people, supporting people. Uh, I want to definitely hear about everything you've got going on there. But I'm curious, and I and I often ask this of people that I know have just are doing a lot or have done a lot. Like, how do you, how do you do it all? Do you, is there a is there a, a process or a, a any secrets to how you are able to 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 do everything that you're doing, do it well, and do it with a smile on your face? Um, I think that, like, as far as for like kind of cheese making goes, thinking of it more as uh, preserving kind of. Uh, preserving art basically then something that I'm going to be doing all year round really has helped me to be able to fit it into my life a lot better so for example like when my cow calves if she calves in February then for like three months I'm going to be making cheese pretty solidly for those three months preserving my milk Um, she's going to be in a really high lactation so she's going to be having a ton of milk at that time Um, it's just a really good time to be preserving that milk so I'm going to be making a bunch of cheeses that are going to age really well during that time, it's kind of like if it's canning season, like that canning pot lives on the stove and it doesn't move. Um, so my cheese pot will live on the stove and it won't move for about three months. And then after that, I probably won't make much cheese throughout the year. I'll make little bits here and there, but it won't be an everyday thing. So it's just like seasons on the homestead, um, just working it into seasons, trying not to make all the fancy cheeses, just making the ones that you're familiar with or you make often or that your family enjoys eating um, is just going to be able to help it work into your life a lot better. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're, you just, you know, your seasons, you get to know them and you don't have unrealistic expectations about other things when you know that these things are going to come up to the forefront. Exactly. And like, 
say, say a pot of milk got left on the stove for me because I have a dairy animal and I'm not spending like $40 to buy all of this milk. If it got left on the stove and it wasn't good for consumption anymore, I feed it to the chickens and you know, that's, that's that. And it, it doesn't bother me a ton. It's still, it's not going to go to waste. Um, so kind of having those lower expectations for myself that if one of the kids just isn't having a good day and I need to, like, that's my priority being a mom um, and I need to be there more then the, the cheese is going to get left and that's fine. Yeah. Sometimes the kids, sometimes they're, they're just going to take priority and yeah. <laughs> there's no, exactly. no way to and get then around that. Raising them in that way that like they, like my kids, they'll stir the um, the curds for me and everything like that. Like they're used to, they're raised in kind of a dairy environment where, um, yeah, we all kind of work together to like the, the dairy cow is the center of our homestead basically. Yeah. Ours right now is, um, our chickens. We've got, yeah. we've got a fair amount of chickens and we've got different populations. We've got meat birds, we've got this and that. And, you know, we, a year ago we were living in the suburbs in the Phoenix area. And now, and my, my oldest daughter, she'll, she'll be eight in November. She, she knew what a chicken was. She, you know, but she really didn't know anything now. Um, their favorite pastime, the three of them is to go out in the chicken yard and just hang out with the chickens and pick them up. And they've got their friends and they know, she knows all the different breeds and all the different, I mean, she, she's turning into an absolute crazy chicken lady. And so that's been fun to just see, see the kids develop these um these i don't know if attachments is the word but just connections with with whatever happens to be kind of the focus at that time on the on the homestead so i i think cheese making could be a a fun one too yeah exactly and that's yeah that's like a cool thing um like one of my students she's and she's 14 years old and um she homeschools and stuff and cheese making is part of her curriculum like she um, yeah, cheese making is part of her school. Basically she milks her own cows, you know, like she, um, she, her parents and her have been able to work this into her, into her schooling, which is really cool. That is cool. Um, that's a good idea for us. We homeschool as well. Are you, are you all homeschooling as well? No, we aren't. Um, yeah, no, um, it just never worked out for us because I always had an off farm job before I started cheese from scratch, but, and now they're, they're too attached to school. So. Yeah. 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 It, it is a challenge. It's, it's a good life, but it's, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely, um, we're running on one income and, uh, we're getting through it, but yeah, it's definitely a, a compromise for sure. Exactly. Well, um, we've talked quite a bit about some of the starting points for someone who is, is interested. Maybe, maybe somebody's listening who really didn't think that cheese making was, was something that was approachable to them that with a few clicks on Amazon and a trip to the local grocery store, they might be able to start making some cheese and wow their family with a, with a, with a feta mozzarella, maybe even a brie. I mean, that's pretty cool stuff. Um, say someone's, you know, gotten into that a little bit and they really want to hone their skills and, and maybe even be, um, a part of a kind of a cheese making community. What what do you have available for people that that are that are in that boat? 
Yeah. Um, so I have a cheese making course. That's how I started cheese from scratch with a, um, it's called Homestead Cheesemaking 101. So it teaches you basically all of the steps, all of the ingredients, um, kind of like in depth into all of that stuff. And then um, at the end, it teaches you how to make pressed aged cheeses and sets you up to be able to kind of leave the course and go and make um, whatever pressed aged cheeses you want. So I have about um, a thousand students in that course. And um, I've just heard really good feedback from people that is just kind of taking the confusing out of it for them. Um, and then I also have the Milkmaid Society that you mentioned earlier. So that's more if you have like a dairy animal or you're looking at getting a dairy animal. Um, it's a monthly membership. Um, we do. Te I do teach some cheese making in it, um, but it has a lot to do with like um, animal husbandry and um, just kind of learning how to work a dairy lifestyle into your homestead, basically. That's got to be important. You know, we, we hit on it a little bit earlier and, and and I've talked to several people who are pretty new to homesteading. You know, they, they're transplants like we are and there's just that, that kind of mountain in the distance. Do we do the dairy cow? And it's nice to know that there are resources such as the Milkmaid Society where you can kind of learn how to integrate that and have support and feel like you're not alone in trying to take on something at that level. Yeah, exactly. I love the community around it. And there's just really not... Um, not like when I started, when I became a milkmaid, I didn't know anybody else that had a milk cow. So it's cool that we have these online communities where we can connect with people that maybe live thousands of miles away, but they have a similar interests and similar experiences and we can all connect together. That's very cool. And, and it sounds like with, with your, so you have, you have the milkmaid society and then you have your cheese, homestead cheese making course. Yeah. Okay. And and the homestead cheese making course is for really anyone that you, you know if you're buying milk or if, or if you have a dairy animal as well. Yeah, it was definitely created when I created it. Um, I created it in mind of like having a um, a milk cow, but I have students that buy milk. I have students that have goats. Um, all of that. Um, it's, it seems to be serving them well. So uh, that's something that's exciting about it. Very cool. Well, I definitely recommend folks to go check that out. And um, other than that, where can folks connect with you online and follow along with what you're doing? Yeah, um, so pretty much Instagram is like the best way to connect with me. I'm on there um, at least a couple times a week in stories and everything, uh, just sharing kind of our um, our dairy lifestyle. Uh, it's kind of neat to be able to watch somebody, how they just fit it all in basically. Um, so I try to kind of showcase that on stories, um, the good and the bad and the ugly and <laughs> all of it. Yeah. I always look forward to your posts. Um, definitely, definitely a, a world, like I said, I've, I've never really been too much involved in and it's always, always entertaining. So definitely I will, um, I will link uh, all of that in the show notes for people so they can easily connect with you. And I recommend that they do. And um yeah, I'm really glad we got the opportunity to to talk and I've learned a lot. I'm sure that folks listening have as well and definitely encourage them to head your way if they want to learn more. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jason. This has been really fun. It sure has. Thanks again, Robin. Well, there you are, folks. My conversation with Robin Jackson from Cheese from Scratch. Definitely uh, enjoyed that. Uh, learned quite a bit. Some good perspective on the comparisons 
really, I mean, cheese making is is a, a form of fermentation that normally and naturally happens within in inside a calf's stomach. Um, and so we're just kind of replicating that. Some good ideas for closing the loop on some of the supplies and sources by using the uh, clabber culture that she mentioned. Um, and just some real insights on how to schedule around and um, build a life around around a dairy operation, however large or small you decide that you want to take on. So hope you enjoyed that. Appreciate everybody being here. As always, uh, help out by subscribing to the podcast. That way you will not miss it when I do release these episodes. I've got some great conversations coming up. And I appreciate all the shares, um, folks that are sharing this podcast, the people that uh, are are into homesteading and, and are either are doing it or dreaming of doing it and um, anywhere in between. Um, hopefully you can share that. And um, that's going to do it, folks. I appreciate you being here with me and look forward to seeing you next time. And until then, this is Jason signing off, reminding you to do something today to improve your tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Plans and Provisions podcast. If you would like to stay up to date with everything happening around the homestead, head on over to the website at plansandprovisions.com. 